Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 132 of Control the Controllables. All eyes have been on Emma Raducanu after her amazing win at the women's singles at the US Open. And our guest today went under the radar, even though he won two of the events. Yeah, we still felt felt confident coming into the US Open and we just, I think, not not so much confident that we were going to play amazing throughout the whole tournament, but just that we could deal with whatever happened and we were ready to to work our way through the tournament and to, yeah, find a way. That was, of course, Joe Salisbury, the winner of the men's doubles at the US Open with Rajiv Ram and also partnering Desiree Kravchek for his second mixed doubles Grand Slam of the year. Joe has really turned into one of the best players in the world. He's putting together an incredible career. It is such an honour to get him onto the show less than 72 hours after his amazing weekend out at Flushing Meadows. He's made his way back to London where he's kindly come on. And I know you guys are going to love listening to his story and his success out in New York. I'm going to pass you over now to Joe Salisbury. So, Joe Salisbury, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. And what a, what an honour for us to have you so close after the historic event out in New York. It's the first time since 2010. I don't know if you know that, since Bob Bryan in 2010 won the men's doubles and the mixed doubles. And you've put yourself in history and five Grand Slams finals in 2021 winning three grand slams what an incredible year you've had yeah yeah it has been amazing um I mean I don't really I tend not to kind of look back at things too much especially kind of in the middle of the season but yeah when I kind of reflect on everything um a bit more maybe at the end of the year and look back at yeah, the year we've had it's yeah it's been incredible um and yeah I didn't think that we we could have achieved the, the things that we have already and hopefully keep going the rest of the year. No, no, absolutely. And, and, and if we take you to New York and obviously you're back down, back back in London now, but did you feel the momentum happening throughout the event? Because you just looked so comfortable on the court. And even when you lost the first set in the final, it never really, in my opinion, looked like you guys were in danger the same on the mixed doubles court. You just seem to have such a, a confidence and comfort about you. Is that is that something that you felt happening throughout the two weeks? Um, I think it's just got been something that's improved a lot since I've been playing with Rajiv. I think the fact that we've been playing together for this is nearly nearly the end of our third year together. Yeah. I think the main thing is just our, I guess, our comfort level on court together, and I think we've just got a lot better at dealing with difficult situations on court, maybe some new situations, different, different things. And just being, feeling like we're kind of ready for, 
for whatever happens. Um, and I think we did feel we did feel good going into the tournament. We felt confident. Um, we didn't feel like we were playing our best tennis or we were playing amazing. We'd come off. Obviously, we had the great win in Toronto, which was our first Masters. So we were kind of on a high from that and then yeah. went to Cincinnati and we didn't didn't play very well there. But yeah, we still felt felt confident coming into the US Open. And we just, I think, not, not so much confident that we were going to play amazing throughout the whole tournament, but just that we could yeah deal with whatever happened and we were ready to to work our way through the tournament and to yeah find a way um find a way to try and get it done and I think especially at the start of the tournament once some of the big big names went out some of the top seeds obviously Mektik Pavic went out first round um Cabal Farah went out early Kubot Mello um you kind of I felt like it almost added a bit more pressure onto us yeah. because it felt like, okay, wow, well, we're definitely one of the favourites here, if not the favourite to to go on and win it. But, yeah, I'm just really happy with how we dealt with everything, especially coming through, I think it was the third round, the quarterfinal, a couple of really, really tough matches, two, six in the thirds. And then, obviously, in the final, we we didn't play a good first set, um, got broken twice, lost, lost that first set quite easily. But just really happy how we kind of didn't panic with the, the situation we were in and, and came back and played really good next two sets. Um, so, yeah, overall just really happy with how we dealt with all the situations that, that we were in. And I think that's that's something which I think if I was playing with with a new partner or somebody who I hadn't been playing with for very long, probably wouldn't have been able to do to do yeah. that. And I think that's, that's the thing that's kind of improved the most, um, playing with Rajiv for, for as long as we have done. Yeah, because I... I mean, I always follow you guys and I, I, I love watching you guys play. And I think you've got such a good chemistry on the court. And if we take the quarterfinal match, saving four match points in the in the third set breaker, I even I text you about the, the semi-final, your forehand return at five all in the first set tie break, because that was a that game was a real battle, and those boys are, are difficult to play against. Creary and Johnson, they've got their their own kind of different style. They're almost not playing classic doubles. And, and, and I think your point you make is is so true. And that came out even in your winner's speeches. You know, you it was like a, it was a love fest between the two of you. And that what was nice to see, you know, the fact that you did Lord praise on each other. And I think one question I've asked loads of doubles guys, because we've had all sorts of doubles players on the podcast, is why do people split up so much? Because the, the example that I, I, I use, the, the, the Brian brothers, they said, I remember them saying it a few years ago, the first six months of, on the tour, we always win everything because everyone's getting used to playing with each other again. And then by the end of the of the year, we start to struggle because all of these teams form this bond and, and get comfortable playing with each other. And then the year ends and then everyone splits up and we stick together. Mm. And then the first six months. So, so how how have you been able to keep that relationship going, I guess? Because it seems like it's a challenge on the tour to do it. Yeah, to be honest, I I don't really know the answer to that question. I think, I, I don't know why so many teams do split up so often. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're having a tough run or you feel like you could be doing better with someone else or there's an obvious, I don't know, partner who you think is better, then I can see why people would, would make the switch. But if it's just okay, we've had a few bad tournaments and, okay, this guy could maybe be better, but not really sure, then I, I don't see the, the benefits from that. I mean, for 
for me and Rajiv, we haven't we haven't really had any kind of really tough spells. I mean, obviously we've had some some bad maybe run of tournaments or a few tournaments or some some tough losses, some bad losses. But there hasn't been any point where we've seriously considered splitting up as a team. I think we've always felt confident that we wanted to to keep playing together during the season at the end of each each year. Um, so obviously, yeah, if you do have a longer run of, of bad tournaments, then then obviously that does come into your mind and I could see why people would want to make a change. But yeah, I agree. I think people do split up way too often when they haven't kind of given the partnership a chance or maybe they don't. It's not like people are thinking, okay, well, this guy that you're going to switch to play with is, is definitely going to be better. Yeah. Um, so, and I don't think people maybe value quite as much as they should about how how beneficial it is being a strong partnership and having that I guess that that chemistry with your partner having that knowing them really well on the court and how you can yeah because I think in terms of your tennis it's not going to suddenly make you improve your level but I think one of the biggest things in in doubles is how you you work together as a team and you manage each other you support each other on the court to bring bring the best out of yourself and your and your partner so I think that's that's such an important thing and, and and you just don't have that if you're playing with a new partner. Yeah, yeah well, you're not making that forehand return at five all on that tie break if you feel insecure. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's what that's one of the things that Rajiv and I have kind of improved and got a lot better at and realised the the importance of is is just being a, a good partner and yeah. being there for each other on the court being supportive knowing when maybe one person is struggling the other person has to step up a bit um knowing kind of how you need to act on court to get the best out of yourself and the best out of your partner um and i think that's something that that people don't do as well as they could and people don't get the best out of themselves because maybe the partnership isn't is new or they're not quite managing themselves and each other the best they could and I I have to ask you about Mektic and Pavic because that was obviously Pavic finished world number one last year with a different partner and as we're saying made made that change and they just seem to have had I know they've been your nemesis a little bit this year Um, they've had an incredible year you managed to get one over them I believe in Toronto in in the final and but what 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 kind of partnership and what's made them such an amazing partnership this year Um, I mean obviously they're two two great players um, from the same country I don't know exactly what makes them work so well together I think I think part of it's just they've been running so high on confidence this year I mean I think when when you have the results they have I think obviously they did well did well at the start of the year won a lot of tournaments I mean even throughout the, the whole first half of the year I mean they won so many tournaments almost almost every other tournament they played um, so I think it was just a lot of it was just the the confidence and obviously if you're you're winning that much together playing that well together then then you're going to feel good and you're going to be kind of feeling good on court together um, so I think it was it was that and it kind of puts a bit of fear I suppose into the other teams thinking that they've got to play great to beat you and I think other teams also felt like everything kind of went their way they won so many match tie breaks um, 
regular tie breaks in the grand slams um so it was kind of like people felt like they they had to just play an incredible match to beat them which obviously puts on a lot of pressure and and makes it makes it tough when you get into those tight situations and into the tie breaks and the other teams just feeling relaxed feeling like they well they've done it a million times before they're just going to win and the other team's thinking well yeah we've got to play play incredible to win this so obviously that makes it that makes it very tough but um yeah what makes them work so well together I'm, I'm not quite sure I mean I think everyone thought they would be a good partnership together obviously it was a bit surprising that Pavic was yeah ended number one with Suarez and they they split up and then um, Mektic won the tour finals with Kulov and then and they split up to play together but I I think that was one one partnership where people felt like yeah it's strange splitting up after ending the year both both of them ending the year so well I think people knew that they were going to be a very very good partnership because I think and I think I guess a bit surprised that they hadn't played together before since they were both yeah. both in the same country both great players um so I think everybody was expecting them to have to be a really good team just not quite <laughs> to do as well as they have yeah. and I have to now so take you back to, to Saturday night you've you've won the mixed doubles you know Desiree's third Grand Slam you know you've now you're now a, a double US Open champion uh, in, in in consecutive nights and nobody's talking about you because everybody is talking about a young 18-year-old girl from Kent who has completely taken the world by storm. And, and, and I can't have you on here, Joe, without asking you about Emma, Emma Raducanu, about what that was like to be out there and to, to feel that energy that went with, with her amazing achievement. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think everyone's just struggling to get their head around it really I mean it's just complete madness what what she's done I mean even what she did at Wimbledon getting to being a wild card getting to the fourth round I think it was was a ridiculous ridiculous run and then yeah to go into the US Open I think everybody's thinking okay well she's got a good good chance of qualifying maybe when draw opened up maybe she can get through a couple rounds but yeah, to, to have actually won the tournament is is completely ridiculous. I think everybody's just yeah, doesn't really know what to what to think about it. I mean, everyone knew that she was could be a great player and maybe maybe future Grand Slam champion and yeah, had potential to be to be really good. But to do what what she's done so soon is just yeah, no, it's it's complete madness, and obviously it's great for great for British tennis to have to have a, a Grand Slam champion, Grand Slam singles champion, and um, obviously it's been a long time for, for the women to have that. And now she's, an, I mean, she's going to be an absolute superstar. I mean, she she already is. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's just obviously it's great, but it, it's it's completely crazy. Yeah, and it is that feeling that the one that I saw across social media, and it's the word that I just kept saying over and over in my head was "wow." Like, a, and and I had a couple of friends ask me on the Saturday, and and genuinely, I don't remember friends of mine that were texting me ever texting me about tennis. You know, they mm. might text me about the football on a Saturday afternoon, but they were like, "Oh my god, we've got friends coming around. We've got the Radicano match. How exciting!" You know, there was the excitement yeah. and the buzz. 
And everyone was saying, can she win it? And I was saying, I don't think she can because I can't believe, I can't in my head believe that she's going to be a US Open champion. It just yeah. didn't, it didn't add up. It, it didn't add no, up in my head. It and, didn't. Yeah, no, and, and you said like it was crazy how many people were kind of tuning in to watch it and people who would never watch tennis, don't know anything about tennis. It was just like the biggest thing going on. Literally, it was almost like the biggest thing going yeah. on in the world, even whether you're a tennis fan or not. I mean, I when I got back home, I, I was watching um, I was watching the replay of Match of the Day yesterday because I hadn't seen the United game and I wanted to watch Ronaldo's first game back there and and after the I think after the first two games of match of the day that he Gary um, was talking about the tennis saying oh because I think I guess they were playing match of the day while she was still on and he was saying oh congratulations to Emma if you've missed the start of the show because you were watching her like I was like what is going on he's mentioning the US Open tennis on match of the day I mean it's it was crazy Um, were you still were you still in on site when it was happening or do you left the site because it was it was a couple of hours after your mixed final? Yeah, we were still on site for the start of it. We would just um, okay. hang out with our team. They put on some some drinks and and stuff. So we were we were just um, yeah enjoying enjoying having a few drinks after the match, and then we actually went back to the hotel while she was still playing, and then managed to catch the last few games on TV when I got back. Right, and what would your what would your advice be to her now? Because uh, the, the, there is so much and, you know, you saw the, the Met Gala last night and she's there with Justin Bieber and she's there. With, I mean, it's we're talking global stardom, you know I mean? It's like, mm. it, it, it's, you know, for a girl who, let's be honest, we, we've all known she's been pretty good in the tennis world, but outside of British tennis or, or potentially the tennis world, nobody would know really who Emma Raducanu was two months ago. You know, so what, what would you, your advice be to her and her team on how they now keep her feet on the ground? Because we've seen it, you know, there's been a lot, especially on the women's side, there's been a lot of one-time Grand Slam champions who they've done it. You know, we had Igor Fiontek train at the academy and I saw the pressure she was under before she went to, to try and mm-hmm. to go and play at the French Open after winning it the year before. And it, and it feels like there's going to be a challenge ahead, you know, to just keep keep things in perspective, you know, allow her to develop her career at her own time, management of expectation. Someone who's been around the game now for a good few years and obviously knows Emma, knows the way British tennis works, knows the way the tennis world works. What would your advice be to, to her and her team? I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure if I can give her much advice because, I mean, what she's experiencing and what she's going to experience is, is beyond anything that I could even imagine or know what at all what that that will feel like. Um, I mean, I was saying it to a few people, like it's just crazy how how quickly it's just happened. I think with most people, it kind of is a gradual thing where you kind of build up your, I guess your sort of how how big a name you are, your celebrity, your yeah. And I think the fact that it's happened to her literally in three months, going from a completely normal girl playing playing tennis to being a global superstar, is it's it's going to be tough for her. I think 
I mean, obviously, the one side is just the, the tennis part. It's going to be a lot of pressure on her now to, to achieve what she has to win the US Open. And then everybody's just going to be expecting amazing things from her now every every tournament she plays. And obviously, yeah. she's played amazing tennis this last couple of weeks, this last few weeks. But she's not going to be able to keep that up every week. And I'm sure she will still keep improving, but people will figure out how to play her. She's going to, yeah, she's going to have some ups and downs. So she's not going to be obviously going out there and winning every tournament she plays. So there's a lot of pressure from that side, but then even more so, I think just for everything off the court, how to deal with that. I mean, the things she's going to have to manage, I'm sure she's, hopefully she's got good people around her who can help her deal with all of that. But I mean, she's barely going to be able to walk down the street now without without being recognised, without being, yeah, asked for autographs and selfies. And she's just going to be getting, I mean, I know she already has done a ridiculous amount of media and press and all that. And just to, to deal with all that at her, especially at her age, I mean, for anyone, but at her age is... It's going to be pretty tough. I mean, she she seems like she's done so well with all of it, and I can't believe how well she's managed everything so far. Um, but obviously, that is going to be it's going to be a challenge. She hasn't got back in touch with me about control the controllables yet. You know, it's like no. Apparently, good. Apparently, Good Morning America, the Jay Leno show, all of these things apparently are more important, which which is news to me. But that I'm that sure is, she's just waiting. That is shocking. <laughs> I'm sure she's waiting. But on that point, Joe, when you flew back in, I guess you flew back in yesterday yesterday morning, maybe arrived back into London. Yeah. When you're landing, are you recognised? No. No, it was a pretty, uh, pretty low-key arrival back back home. Um, I mean, I get the odd, the odd person saying something, but no, most of the time it's... Uh, no, nobody, uh, nobody bothers me at all or, or recognises me, I don't think. And how does that make you feel? Does that is that like something that you think, I mean, shit, if I've just won two Grand Slams, I'm I'm wanting to have a little bit of recognition. I don't know, I don't know how your what your take on that is. No, not not really. I, I definitely definitely don't mind that at all. Um, I mean it's great getting all the messages of support from friends and and people around tennis who who obviously, yeah, kind of recognising the achievement and sending congratulations. But I would I'd much rather not be, yeah, I don't like kind of being in the in the spotlight, I suppose. Um, and I'd much rather just keep going up, going about my business and doing my thing. And um, I think, yeah, what I was thinking, what 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 Emma's has to, has to deal with, even if it was on the much smaller scale than that is is so tough and I think I yeah I I don't envy her for that and I, I want to loop back so how what we've always done on these podcasts Joe is I want to get under the bonnet of what makes somebody so you're now a multiple Grand Slam champion you know four four Grand Slams to your name you know someone who in, in the world of tennis is having a phenomenal tennis career age 29 We'll come back to what's next for you, but I want to take you now back to the start. You know what the, the sort of things that influ- have influenced you over the years. You know, firstly, how how did you get into tennis in the first place? 
so started tennis when I was very young. I was probably about three when okay. I started hitting, hitting balls. Both my parents played, um, older brother and sister. They both started playing when they were pretty young. So just, yeah, it was just a family thing and got into it. I mean, I loved all sports, just playing, playing ball games, playing um, and yeah, tennis was was the main thing. So I just um, got into it and and loved loved it. Just just played as much as I could, um, and then started having a few lessons at my home club, which is still my home club, the Roehampton Club. Um, yeah. And then started doing some stuff with um, with Surrey, um, with with Justin Sharing, who was my coach from about six or seven, I think. Wow. Um, and has been coaching me on and off since then as well I still still work with him now when I'm back when I'm back home great yeah then I went to to college had some struggles when I was kind of in my late teens with um glandular fever and some injuries and didn't play too much then um went off to college for four years at University of Memphis finished college played played singles as well as doubles for a couple years um and then focused just on the doubles in about 2016 yeah. Um, yeah, I've been doing that the last five years. And with with Justin, who I'm pleased you've mentioned Justin because he's a, he's a great guy and a, and a great coach. I, do you look back at that as being quite lucky? Because I guess when you're six or seven, you kind of don't know what coach you're going to get. You know, mm. you're starting out in tennis. You know, the fact that you've started with somebody like Justin. So that's the first part of the question. And the second part would be how big of an influence has a coach like Justin had on you in, in your career to be able to have, again, it, it's that word again, that security, you know, that you and Rajiv have, mm. I guess you've also gained a lot of security from that relationship as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's had, had a massive influence obviously during yeah early part of my, my tennis career, I suppose, when I was just, just a young kid. Um, no, he, he's amazing. And, I think especially with with the young players, how he inspires them and motivates them. And I think he's a great kind of coach technically as well. Um, but it's it's also the just the mental, the mental side, the how he yeah, gets people to to work hard, enjoy it. Um, it's yeah, it's been yeah, a pleasure to to work with him the whole the whole time that I have. And then we had a break where when I was had the injuries and then obviously went off to college and then I went to was training at Gosling Academy uh, with Tom Corey for a few years and then started working some more with Justin again just because he yeah we know each other so well he's still been a good friend even the times that we weren't working as much together but yeah he knows knows me so well and, and has helped me out since yeah since I've been playing doubles as well and even though I don't see him as much now because we've got Rob Morgan traveling coach with me and Rajiv. Uh, we've got Louis Kaya with us a lot as well. Um, but when I'm back here and training at NTC, then I get on court with Justin as much as possible. And yeah, it's great to just have that sort of familiar face, someone that knows you so well and you work so well yeah. with. And at what age did you decide tennis is something I want to do? I want to, I want to be a player. Was that something that came to you quite early? Or I must admit, I didn't know you so much in the juniors, you know, so I'm not, I don't know exactly what your junior career was. Um, 
you know, you've mentioned there you've had a few injuries, but was it was tennis your thing? Was that was that where you were always going in your head? It was for a long time. I think there was definitely there was definitely a time where I thought maybe it wasn't. Um, definitely when I was younger, I was one of yeah, I was one of the top juniors when I was pretty young. Um, yeah. So kind of under ten, under twelve, up to maybe under fourteen and. I thought during during those times, yeah, I wanted to be a professional tennis player and kind of dreamt of, of playing at Wimbledon. Um, but then, yeah, when I had some time off with the illness and injuries, then maybe thought, well, maybe it's not for me. Yeah. Um, and then when I was at college, I kind of still, I still thought that I wanted to, but I didn't maybe know if I, if I was good enough, if I had what it takes to be a professional. Um, so yeah, I was kind of questioning it then, and and then I decided that I did want to play after, and then even after, and then kind of during the time when I was playing singles, I was doubting it whether I wanted to keep doing it, and and then even when I switched to to just playing doubles, and was kind of playing on the challenger tour and and struggling a bit for a while, then then I had doubts then as well. So it wasn't like the whole time I was I was sure that I just wanted to to keep doing it, and that it's definitely. I mean, I knew it was what I wanted to do, but I didn't know whether it was something that, that I could do. So it's not, yeah, I didn't always have that belief in myself. But I think one thing that kept me going was that I just always wanted to to find out sort of how good I could be. And I, I didn't yeah. want to stop until I was felt like I'd got to be the best that I could be yeah. and sort of fulfilled my potential. Um, so I guess that's what kept me going through through the tougher times when I wasn't sure if I if I wanted to to keep doing it I think it's so good Joe for people to hear you say those things because it's dead easy just to turn on the telly and see someone lifting a trophy up and thinking oh my goodness he's got everything sorted in his life it's just you know look at look at that here we are stuck in this place you know playing this this tournament and losing first round and and, and, and I think that the big thing I take away from that, and I have this with a lot of players that I work with, at different times, there is a lack of belief and, and having that, that belief issue and, and work, having that fear of whether you are good enough, I think is, it's quite a normal thought, you know, even for someone who, like yourself, has gone on to be a multiple Grand Slam champion. But I guess my, my question to you, was it, was it ever a lack of desire or do you think it was a lack of belief? So when you when you had those difficult moments, did you? Because for me, I think they're different things. You know, one we might not believe we can, but I think a lot of players, it's actually a lack of desire to want to do what it takes to potentially go on and be a Grand Slam champion or play play at the top level of the sport. Um, yeah, I don't think it was ever a lack of desire to. I think I was prepared to sort of do whatever I could to to get where I wanted to be I think I was prepared to put in the hard work and and do what it takes um and in terms of the belief it was I always did have kind of a sort of deep down a sort of inner belief in myself that I did have a lot of ability and could could achieve some some big things but it was more just questioning I guess it was doubting that belief that I had. Yeah. So it was kind of, 
thinking, well, I, I feel like I do have this belief and I do have this desire to to do it and to put in the work that I need to, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Like there's always those those yeah. doubts. Um so it wasn't that I just thought, okay, well, I'm not very good and I, I can't do this. It was more thinking, well, I can do this, but at times thinking, well, what if I'm what if I'm wrong? What if I actually can't? Yeah. And what about as a singles player? Did you have that same inner belief as a singles player? Um, I'd say not not quite as much. I did still have it a bit, and I think, yeah, I think with the singles, maybe it was slightly misplaced, or maybe maybe that's the wrong word, but. I felt like I could be a lot better than than I was, but yeah, there were there were a combination of things which which meant that yeah, I was I was struggling to to break through in the singles and to make a career for myself in that. Um, and yeah, I decided that I, I was doing better in in doubles um, and realised that yeah, I could have a more successful career playing doubles. So. Um, I, I kind of wanted to keep playing singles because I felt like I, I didn't get to where, like I said before, about oh. kind of reaching my potential and getting to be as good as I could be. I don't think I did that in singles, mm. but at a certain point I realized that, well, I wanted to start making a career for myself at some point, I have to start earning some money. Yeah. Um, so I decided that I felt like I, I could do that um, be more successful and do that quicker in playing doubles. So when when that decision was made, I think kind of end of 2016 was yeah. that sort of time. How how did you come to that decision? Was that a, was that a difficult decision for you to make, or did it or did it kind of naturally evolve? Yeah, it was a difficult decision, um, but I'd been thinking about it for a while. I. Yeah, I think it was actually soon after I played Wimbledon qualifying and I'd actually had a good, a great win. I think the best win in my career in singles. Um, and I lost second round in the qualifying. And then I think soon after that, I went out to Portugal to play a Futures event. And I was out there on my own um, on these tarmac courts. In the I know them. And this is, look, when I looked at your results, I was there this summer at Dana Nova. Oh, really? And and I looked at your results and I thought yeah I can't remember the name of the place I just remember Indiana these courts and, and I was thinking that it was like a, yeah it was like park courts in yeah. <laughs> in, an, in an English park yeah. um, and I lost a match really easily um, I played awful had just felt like I had no sort of motivation no energy no passion for it and. After that, I kind of thought, well, yeah, do I? Yeah, I just questioned a lot whether I did have what it takes in, in singles to to get where I wanted to be and how long that was going to take as well. Um, even if I could get there, was it how long would it take? Would it take another five years, 10 years? Like, even if I could, could get there. So, I yeah, that was kind of what kind of pushed me, pushed me over the edge, made me make the decision to to switch just to doubles. So that's the the first positive thing I've heard about Adana Nova 
because so we can now say that Dana and Nova is responsible for you being a multiple Grand Slam champion. You know, it's, <laughs> it's I I took I took eight players from the academy there this summer, mm. and and it was about forty two degrees, and there was no practice courts, and it was the courts were brutal. The place was brutal, yeah. and when I was looking through your your results, and I always like before you guys come on, I just like to get little little tidbits you know it might be I, I saw you played Berrettini I saw you know you, you pick up kind of different things uh, along the way when you look at the results and and what the question and the, and the thought I had in my head because we take Joe Salisbury summer of 2016 I can picture it now I know the guy you played Cacao from Portugal yeah he's actually I'm in Portugal right now he's he's still playing and he's he's in the event this week and you fast forward five years and you've gone from being that player playing on those park courts to being a, a, a multiple Grand Slam champion, men's and mixed doubles champion on Arthur Ashe court. They seem so far apart in terms of worlds. You know, I can't mm. stress that enough. It, it, people that aren't in the tennis world, it, it, yet the level isn't so far apart, in my opinion. So, so what... What is the difference? You know, those margins that we talk about, you know, what, what are the real, I guess, the secrets almost? And I know it's not a magic portion or a magic secret, but what are the things that, that take someone from that park court in Adana and Nova to the centre court in Arthur Ashe and some players that don't? Well, I mean, obviously, obviously when I was doing that, I was... Yeah, that was when I was playing singles, and obviously this is yes, this is in doubles. Um, but I think, yeah, the the levels obviously when you go from a futures doubles tour matches to to Grand Slam matches, and I think yeah, the the level it often isn't a massive amount different. Um, but I think if you kind of add up all the all the little things, then then it makes quite a big difference. I mean, you can see in some some tour level matches if if one person, especially I think especially on the, the the women's side, if you take out kind of the big serves of the men, if if one of them is maybe just a little, little bit better at something, they can win easily one and one. Because if you're just a little bit better, then you're going to win. You can win easily all the time. Um, in terms of the actual specific things that different or that. I guess are better on the tour. I think it's just a combination of everything of the, of the small things. I think obviously the the shots that the players on on the tour are obviously better and they hit the ball better. But I think often you see players, I think in doubles and singles, where you think, well, actually, if you look at a challenger tour player and you watch them just hitting the ball, and you watch a tour player, but maybe it's not. It looks like there's no difference between them. So I think it's. A lot of it's just knowing your game, knowing how to play. I think especially in the doubles, it's a lot of tactical things. I think it's a lot of decision-making, shot choices. Um, it's a lot of the, the movement and positioning in the doubles. Um, so I think it's, yeah, a lot, a lot of it is knowing, knowing your game and knowing how to manage your game the best, the best you can because I think there's a lot of guys that can hit, hit a tennis ball well. But maybe not as many that know yeah how to how to win tennis matches which is obviously a very very different thing 
would you, would you advise players that are struggling on the futures tour on the singles core to a potentially winning a lot of doubles tournaments? Would you advise them to make that switch onto the doubles side? Do you think too many players bang their head against a brick wall on the singles and almost then kill off a potential career on the doubles court? Because ultimately, playing on half-rash court, whether it's singles or doubles, it doesn't matter. You know, mm. you're you're achieving and you're experiencing, which is ultimately what this sport is about. Yeah, I mean, it's tough tough for me to, to say that. I mean, it definitely, I... Definitely, it was the best decision for for myself, and I know others that have done the same, and it was it was the right thing for them. Um, but yeah, and I think a lot of people say if they are playing struggling on the singles tour and they they make the switch and they could make a, a good career playing doubles, I think a lot of people would say that that was the best decision for them, especially if they want to be making a career out of playing tennis and they're they're not doing that if they're playing the lower levels singles but again I guess you don't really know what what's going to happen in the future obviously they could switch to playing doubles and then not kind of break through onto the main tour and and then maybe they'd regret making that decision um and also they could maybe make the switch and then but if they'd kept playing singles then they could have made a breakthrough in the singles and they would have rather done that so obviously it's it's a tough tough decision and very sort of individual to to each player um but yeah i mean it's it's always something that's worth worth considering if people think that that they could make a career in doubles and what about louis kaya how big of a i guess influence if i go back to i've got a good few years on you but back to 2005 i was ranked about 140 doubles about 650 singles and at that time, there wasn't really a doubles pathway in place, certainly in, in Britain. You know, it kind of, it was almost looked at as if you just play doubles, you're a bit of a loser. It was it was really quite frowned upon. Mm. And, and at that time, I certainly, my reflection on that was I didn't have any direction. I didn't see a clear pathway. You know, I was happening to win a lot and win challenges and play very well on doubles, but it, it, it didn't really cross my mind that that would be the only way I would go. And then a few months later, Louis came along and seemed to just create such a clear pathway that, and I think this is one of the hardest things in our sport, even as a coach as well, it's sometimes quite hard to see where your career is going. You know, we play or we coach mm. and we do things, but it's not always easy to, to see the steps you know, could you see that those steps clearly in place? And was Louis at that point that you'd started to do some work with Louis? And could you see that maybe that was a very clear route for you to start making some money out of the sport? Yeah, he definitely definitely helped to to see that. I suppose. Um, I mean, I started working with him a little bit earlier on when I switched to playing doubles and when I was playing the challenges and. Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate to get some some support from him, and kind of when I started doing better and working my way up the rankings, then got more and more help and support from him. And obviously, yeah, what he has done for for me and for for so many of the British doubles players is is incredible. And yeah, I don't think I would be kind of where I am now and achieve what I have without his without his support and without his coaching. Um, and yeah, for me, he's he is the best 
the best coach I've ever worked with. And I think he is one of the best, the one of the best coaches in the world. I mean, for me, yeah, not just for, I think obviously he's more specialized doubles coach, but I think he's an amazing singles coach. He's worked with a lot of um, the British singles players as well. Um, and I know he's, he's helped them out a lot, but yeah, for, for doubles, his just, his expertise, his knowledge of, of the game and just making it, there's, it's almost like there's so many things that he knows and he does and he tries to sort of teach you, but it it's also makes it very simple as well. Um, and it doesn't, once you're kind of doing them, it doesn't seem, seem very complicated at all, but, yeah, for yeah, what he's done for, for all these British players is is amazing. And I think that definitely kind of helped me believe that I could make it to the top of the doubles game. The fact that he'd done it with so many players before and yeah. when I started working with him, I mean he was he was he's known for being very tough on players and coaches, um, especially when he starts working with them. And he was, but he also showed kind of a lot of belief in me and 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 told me that he he felt like I could could make it to the to the top of the game. So obviously that that gave me a lot of belief. Yeah, and I, I'm a, I'm a big believer in you have if you can see it, you can be it. And I think I think the the double system and the and the British double system that Louis created and the and the pathways that he's created is is so clear on that. You know that it's in so many players now coming through can go okay oh. They did that. They're doing that. Okay, that, I I can also do that. And I think, you know, he deserves a massive amount of credit. But I also want to bring in your current coach, your travelling coach, Rob Rob Morgan, at this point, because there does seem to also be quite a, a close correlation between, you know, obviously you and Rajiv were doing well, you know, back in 2019. Um, but since Rob's come on board, there certainly seems to have been world-class results you know like you are the legit mm. second best doubles team in the world right now you know nobody nobody can argue that you know so what what sort of influences rob have and how important is it to have someone close to you on the road yeah no it's it's been it's been great having having rob with us i think yeah as you said we've since we've had him on board we've be, had some some amazing results obviously the first I think the first trip he did with us, we we got our first title in Australia, yeah. and then um, yeah, obviously the most most recent ones. Um, but he's got so much passion for for tennis, and I think he's really showed his kind of desire to to win and for us to win and to help us to kind of reach our potential. And I think um, he hadn't worked. I don't think he had worked with doubles players before. Um, so, but he's been amazing in kind of learning from Louis and alongside Louis and helping sort of develop us as a team. And I think that's something which, which has been great, especially considering he hadn't worked with doubles players before is kind of what, what I talked about earlier about being a great team together is something that he's really emphasized with us and has helped to kind of push us to be not only just the best kind of players we can be but to be the best team yeah that's very noticeable talking of teams I have a couple more things before we and I'm, don't worry I'm going to give you a chance to get Desiree back as well from what she said on, on the podcast in a minute but talking of teams I thought it was destiny in Tokyo um, you and Sir Andy 
um, quarterfinals, setting setting four two up, I believe, in, in the quarterfinals. You know, for me, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast, I do strongly believe you are the best doubles player in the world currently. I really do. And I've watched, I've watched a lot, Joe, of doubles. It's something I, I know a lot about. And I think, you know, it's no surprise that you're having the success in the mixed doubles as well. And now you have Sir Andy Murray next to you, who's arguably the best returner in doubles in the world. You know, I think you two can match up so well and didn't quite get over the line in that in that quarterfinal match. How much how much of a heartbreak was that? Because as as, as good as your career is and is gonna be, I guess that that would have been a really special moment for you and Andy to go the whole way in the Olympics. Yeah, that was that was pretty devastating when we when we lost that match. Um I think just the whole the whole experience for me was was incredible just being at my first Olympics and especially being there playing with Andy was yeah it was it was a little bit surreal for me and I think we went in there feeling like we really had a a good chance to not only get a medal but to to win it um I mean obviously we, we'd never played together before but he's yeah obviously who he is and <laughs> just one of the best players one of the best players ever and um I felt like I was was playing really well I'd come off a good run at Wimbledon and and felt like yeah I felt like we could play well together even though I'd never never been on court court with him um and yeah we had we had a tough draw we played the top French team Herbert Mahou and we played really well beating them first round with a tough one against the Germans and again played played well in that match came through a tight one in the second set and I think we yeah, we felt really good. We felt really confident. We've been playing well together, uh, really enjoying it. And obviously, we had another another tough match, and we were but we were setting a break up and and playing well. So to lose out on that one um, in such a yeah tough way, and knowing that especially in the round that it was, if we got through that one, then then we'd have two two matches for a chance at medal, and obviously two matches away from from the gold. It was. It was tough. And I think, uh, yeah, for both of us, we really, I don't think we regretted anything because I think we did everything we could and the other guys played played great and we, we didn't play quite as well as we could at the end. But yeah, that was that was really tough not to, yeah, to come away from that empty-handed. It's still, still an amazing experience. And I, I, as I promised, I would move you into the mixed doubles realm and, you know, we had we had Desiree and and Neil on together after their Wimbledon triumph, which which you happened to be on the other side of the court in in that final. You know, and Desiree now winning three mixed doubles titles in a row, two of them with yourself, one with Neil. You know, we had a lot of teasing on the podcast that I know you've listened back certainly to to certain parts of that. So, what's what's your response to Desiree now you've heard that podcast? Yeah, it was quite uh, quite interesting. I'm going to have to. I only listened to it recently, so I haven't spoken to her. But I'll have to have a have a word with her about some of the answers that she gave. It seemed like uh, for most of them, she was siding with Neil. So uh, yeah, I'll have to see what see what she says about that. I feel like there might have been a bit of um, bit of pressure on her, considering she was doing the uh, doing the podcast with Neil there, speaking to him and with with him listening. But um, yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to have a word with her. Maybe I might be uh, might be struggling for a partner next year by the sounds of it. But it is, and, and that that would be. Uh, do you, do you guys 
and, and I asked Desiree that as well. And obviously she shared the, the different stories about obviously you guys winning in French Open. There's a bit of an understory that's now happening because, you know, yourself and Desiree winning in Paris, you know, then in her words, you'd already found a partner for Wimbledon. So she then found, found the partner in Wimbledon in Neil. But then by the time Neil was speaking to her about US Open, you'd already agreed to play with her at US Open. So as she goes for the Grand Slam, she's going for four in a row. Have you guys already got the agreement in place for Australia? We we have, at least I think I think we have. <laughs> we uh we actually agreed it on literally when we were sitting down afterward uh afterward just one at the US. We were sitting down before the, the prize ceremony and uh and she said, kind of joking to me, do you want to play Australia together? Oh, really? Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> I, I said I'd think about it, but then I, uh, <laughs> I then I confirmed it with her. So yeah, I think we've got that locked in. Be quick, be quick, because Neil has her on speed dial. Do you know what I mean? You, you, it, once, <laughs> once that's there, and that's hey, that's going to be some pressure. Well, on yeah, you. I wasn't sure about U.S. Open because obviously I, well, I wouldn't say I ditched her for uh, for Wimbledon, but I'd, I'd already agreed to Harriet to play with Harriet before we played the the French Open, which because uh, I thought it would be fun to play with another Brit for Wimbledon. Um, yeah, and it and it was um, obviously <laughs> obviously not quite good enough losing to Desiree in the final. Um, we actually joked when when she was playing with Neil and I was playing with Harriet. If we had actually play each other at Wimbledon, it would be quite funny. But I don't think we actually thought it would happen in the in the final on centre court. But then, yeah, after they won Wimbledon, then I thought, even though we'd agreed to play with her for for US, I thought I might she might ditch me for Neil. But uh, I think she's she's glad glad we stuck together now. No, no, absolutely. But yeah, I'll certainly be watching and I think the tennis world will be watching with big interest in Australia because I know mixed doubles doesn't always get the credit that it deserves. But that being said, I think it does capture certainly the British audience captures mm. you know completely you know Wimbledon it's it's arguably the, the the one of the biggest events at Wimbledon every single year but I think now that Desiree is going for four and, and, and a grand slam you know the, the your shoulders I hope are, are nice and wide and strong to be carrying that load and that burden with you in Melbourne in January yeah well I think I think it would have to be the same for her I think she was carrying me through some of those <laughs> matches at US Open and moving into the future, Joel, I guess, you know, we, we hear it all the time. You know, we, we set, set goals from a young age. I want to play Wimbledon and then I want to do this. And, you know, I remember when I did it, I wanted to play Wimbledon. Then I wanted to win matches at Wimbledon. And then you start moving the dial all the time. You know, now that you've had a year like this, you know, we don't have any more Grand Slams. I know you've got your achievements that you want to have the rest of the year. How do you stay motivated now? You know, as a as a multiple Grand Slam champion, someone who's got your name in history, you know, are, are you a goal setter? Are you someone that will sit down with your team and start moving, moving the bar, moving the goals forward? And what, what do those goals now look like moving into the rest of your career? Yeah, I mean, I do sometimes set some goals at the start of the year. Um, but... Yeah, to be honest, I haven't thought too much about what I want for the rest of this year, next year, or even the rest of my career. Um, but I think, yeah, to be honest, motivation for me isn't too much of a factor, at least in terms of 
trying to get myself motivated because I still I still am a lot I mean there's a lot of things that I want to achieve that that I haven't obviously the the biggest one for me which I think for most Brits is is winning Wimbledon um and then obviously to to win to win all the all four of the slams would be would be a big goal and that's that would be such a yeah huge achievement so I think yeah there's a lot of things that I want to achieve obviously winning more more masters titles to wanting to finish the year as the number one team wanting to get to number one ranking in the world um so there's lots of things which which I want to to try and achieve and how do British tennis now build on this you know we've got you know at, at the at the US Open we've got Gordon and Alfie winning the winning the Grand Slam on the wheelchair side we've got Emma Raducanu now as the as the champion US Open champion age 18 we've got yourself who's who's won three Grand Slams this year Neil Skupski winning Grand Slams you know Dan Evans beating Chokovic in Monte Carlo you know it feels as if there's starting to be a little bit of momentum here that's starting to happen and and Andy Murray's still playing you know he won his first round of the challenger yesterday his fire's still burning as well how how are we now going to build on this for British tennis and and make it the sport to play in in our country I mean that's a pretty big question, pretty tough one. Uh, I think that's what the the LGA has been trying to figure out for the last <laughs> however many years. And I think you guys, you, but you guys have to be part of that because you you're yes you're building your own career, but you know I see it in Spain all the time. The the reason Spain's so successful is that the the players that have had the success are so much a part of what what happens next and building on that. So. Whether you like it or not now, you as a multiple Grand Slam champion, you know, and in, and in this era, I do think that that we, we need to be seeing Andy saying it all the time that his success wasn't built on the way that it could mm-hmm. have been and should have been. You know, so is that something that you're passionate about or do you feel you're still a little bit more in your bubble with your own career? And that'll maybe be something that comes after. I mean, it's it's not something that I think about too much at the moment. I mean, obviously, I would like to have an influence or an impact on helping, yeah, develop sort of British tennis in the future or helping to to get more people playing and to, yeah, just improve British tennis in, in general. And I think, obviously, just the players doing doing well at the moment does have a big impact. I think if you look at just the, the doubles, the fact that, there were kind of more players doing well and getting up to to playing at tour level that definitely helped sort of inspire others and it helped others believe that they could get to that level and obviously recently there was i think seven or eight players in the doubles players in in the top top 100 or maybe even six six or seven in the top 50 at one point um so obviously just having more players up there is is great and it helps to yeah make others believe that that they can get there um, but yeah, I think there's there's no doubt that that with these players doing well, and I think obviously what what Emma's achieved, and so many people people seeing that will inspire more people to to want to play tennis and get involved, and and obviously that that can only help to kind of help with more more players coming through in the future. Joe, you've been you've been a star to come on less than seventy two hours after after your, your amazing success 
in in New York um, to get over what I'm sure was a bit of a hangover celebrating such success, or if not, it should have been because it, it was a well deserved achievement that you need to just stop stop and enjoy with with, with your team. You know, I, I thank you wholeheartedly for coming on. You know, it means means a lot. We um, as a as a podcast, you know, that's what we're doing. We're trying to give back to. We have a big British audience, but we do. I think there's 125 countries now listening to this podcast. So it's you know getting the word out there to hear your insights. But you don't get to go without the quick fire round. So are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah. Eye formation or normal? Uh, eye formation. Forehand or backhand? Forehand. What piece of advice would you give your 18-year-old self? Oh, tough one. Um, work hard and enjoy the tough moments. Like it. Hey, that's not an easy answer on the on the spot. That's a good answer on the spot that you've done well. Your favourite Grand Slam? Wimbledon. Five sets or three at doubles Grand Slams? Five. PTPA or no? No. Lefty or righty partner? Lefty. Let's or no let's? No let's. Your toughest ever opponent? Mekdi Pavic. ATP or Davis Cup? Uh, let's go ATP. Never played Davis Cup yet, but hopefully this year. One. Are you listening, Leon? Uh, come on, Leon. Uh, what's a man? What's a man got to do to get in the team? Uh, what's one rule change that you would have in tennis? One rule change. Um, I like the no lets. No lets. Also, uh, another one is ball toss. You can't catch it. You've got to hit it if you throw it up. In 135 podcasts, you're the first person to say that. Really? I mean, I'd, I'd probably struggle with that because I sometimes catch my toss, but I think it's just, I like yeah, it. once you start your serve, I think you should hit it. Pat Rafter would be in all sorts of trouble. Pat Rafter is a nightmare. And who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? Might be a tough one for you, but I've got to say it, Emma Raducanu. Mate, have you... you got to get it done. Well, what you don't realise is that's what you've signed up to. So you might not, you know, you, you sign up to the next guest, to getting the next guest on. So you're not going to be training for a few weeks if you're going to get that one working because it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of phone calls oh, happening. So I didn't know it was my job to get that. that it was oh, your that, job. That's in the small print. You the, the no, name the name that. you the name you say so look Emma is absolutely on the list Andy Murray's on the list we're struggling a mm. little bit with both I would imagine right now anybody that realistically that you can you can pass the baton to I mean I think you could you could ask uh, Rajiv to do it if you want to get my partner on let's get Rajiv get some, love- some insights see what see what he has to say about some things but what what a career um, he's had age thirty seven. You know, so yeah, exactly. No, I think that would be a good one. I would love to have Rajiv on. I'm going to pick that up with you, Joe. We'd love to get Rajiv on. A massive, massive thank you, mate. You're, you're a top, no top lad coming on. Thanks. Thanks for yeah. having me. All the best for the rest of the year. Thank you. And how cool was that to get a multiple Grand Slam champion on so soon after his amazing victories out, out in Flushing Meadows? It wasn't quite 
the one that everyone's been talking about, uh, but still all the same. It's great to have you next to me again, Vicky, to, to be able to discuss and talk about what a what a an amazing achievement that is by Joe and such a such a calm young man who seems in complete control of what's going on. No, that was brilliant. I, I was just saying to the children, you know, that man we were watching on the television on Saturday. Well, here he is telling us all about it. It's amazing that he's found the time to yeah talk to you and talk about how the tournament went for him and, and his year and what a year it's been. Yeah, incredible. Five five Grand Slam finals. And, and do you know the, the, the thing about it as well? And we have to mention Emma Raducanu because... And like I said, speaking to Joe, that word "wow," we've all we've all been talking about it. But even him, who's so close to it, he's come off the back of winning two titles himself. You could you just pick it up from him. He couldn't believe it either. I felt quite sorry for him. Any other any other Grand Slam, you know, we'd all be like, "Wow, wow!" British man has won two titles, and and yeah, we've all been talking. About- talking about Emma but I, I think he seems quite comfortable with that yeah he does and 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 it's I think that it just goes to show doubles it doesn't quite have have that same thing does it I think the if we take the Brian brothers who have won I don't even want to guess how many grand slams they won but they have maybe a little bit more star appeal but I'm but I'm not sure you get to that star appeal unless you have absolutely rocked winning 10 plus grand slams but then also maybe done something a little bit crazy on the court as well and and it just seems like joe is just taking all of that in his stride i mean i didn't say to him actually during the chat but i i do remember seeing him on the singles court only five or six years ago and yeah he was a a lovely guy a hard-working guy fantastic volleys moved well on the court uh, but really didn't stand out from the crowd. And and here he is. And, and I mean what I said. I, I really, truly believe he's he's the best doubles player in the world right now, you know, and he's he's so unassuming the way that he's doing it. And and, and I don't think he's done now. You know, I, I tried to challenge him a little bit on, is he still motivated? He, he absolutely is. It's it's almost like a shock to him to hear that he's he's won so many and he's just kind of, full steam ahead focuses very much on on the future i cannot believe that he's never played davis cup so back in 2005 2004 i thought you were hard done by it british doubles number one not being picked for davis cup we've got world number four he's been as high as three and he's never played davis cup i can't believe that just shows the absolute depth we've got at the minute in the men's doubles yeah, but also two. It's almost two years since the last Davis Cup tie. You that know, da- you know He's Davis Cup. Out now, five, uh, four Grand Slams under his belt. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think he's a he's a shoe in to be in that team. You know, in Madrid, come November November time. You know, I, I think it's very difficult. Although, unfortunately, probably for for Leon and the British team, Rajiv Ram isn't British. Because that also came through loud and clear, you know, just the the strength of relationship that they have. And and I think like anything in life, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast, any any relationship that is meaningful takes time. You know, it's not an instant, it's not an instant thing. Uh, Once again, he talked about it, the doubles guys often do. The best relationships are the ones that have taken a bit of time. And certainly him and Rajiv Ram seem to have that. 
he said, didn't he? That's why he thinks they're doing so well at the moment because of how comfortable they are together. You know, how is it? How many years have they been playing together now? It feels three like three years. Three years. Three years, which is a long time. It's a long time in the modern world for for doubles pairs. And like I said, they're gonna they're gonna be playing again next year. Pretty much confirmed that, unless something goes wrong, you know. And I, and I do. They they really are. They're the second best doubles team in the world right now. Uh, Mekdic and Pavic have had an incredible year, uh, but he's going to be around for a long time to come, you know. And I, I'm going to make a little prediction now. I not to put pressure on Joe, but I believe he will he will win ten plus men's Grand Slam doubles events. Wow, big call! And if you put the mixed doubles in there, he he's not going to be a million miles away from twenty Grand Slams when he's all all said and done, in my opinion. I think he's got two great partnerships, not just with Ram. They are really exciting to watch, but also with Desiree as well. I mean, I know we, we, we're talking about him and Neil Skupski will be fighting for the next few <laughs> next few Grand Slams. But yeah, they're an awesome partnership too. And what a lovely little bit of insight he gave us as well that I love that, you know, when they, they're waiting for the trophy to come out for the mixed doubles and she turns to him, I always wonder, I wonder what they're saying to each other right now. And the fact that Desiree's turned to Joe and said, come on then, what about the Australian Open? Are we going to go again? I think that's, it gives such a lovely little insight into that relationship, into, into how tennis players are. And that was great. But, my, but the last thing that I want to talk about is, is his inner belief. And I think he said something that I think will, will ring true with a lot of people listening. He, he, he talked about maybe doubting himself and not having the belief. But when I pushed him a little bit, he said, I've always had the inner belief. Maybe I've then had the little doubts that have come in on top of that to doubt my belief. However, in my heart of hearts, I've always known that, I, that I've had that level. And that maybe is why he is taking it all in his stride. Like I say to me, he doesn't look like someone who's satisfied uh, I think it was it was great to, to really get that depth of what somebody's saying, and I, and I think you pick that up when you talk about people. But we know how important that inner belief is. I guess the big question is: Are you able to give someone that belief, or is that something that just happens on the inside? He certainly has a real kind of quiet confidence about him, isn't he? He's kind of very calm, cool, and collected on the court. But it was really interesting to hear him speak. Off court, and yeah, and hear him hear him talk about that because you we're know, watching him play. He does seem so assured. Some of the points we watched were unbelievable. He just did not look phased in any of the pressured situations. And again, that's what he said at the clip we stayed we played right at the start, just about you know in those difficult moments, um, just finding a way, finding a way to get through them. And once again, what a, what a treat. And to those that are listening, this is a little mini series, a US Open mini series that we have these next few days. So we've got Alexa Guarachi coming on, who was the semi-finalist of the women's doubles this year. And she's just moved up to number 12 in the world as of, as of earlier this week, uh, is putting together a fantastic career for herself, has, has a great story. And then the, the, the one that everyone's been talking about, we don't have Emma Raducanu, but we do have her Not coach. Yet. We have her coach, Alistair Filmer, who worked with her between the ages of 11 and 14, uh, who is a brilliant one of the one of the best coaches in the UK. 
He did a great job with Emma, but has also done a great job with many players. Anton Matusevic is another one, and he's going to share his story. You know, part of that story will be how he worked with Emma, how she was when she was younger. But there's a lot more to Alistair Filmer than just that. So lots to look forward to before we then moving in to, to many more amazing guests. But as always, a big thank you to you all for your support. A big thank you for listening. Uh, we, we promise that we're going to try and keep bringing these amazing guests to you. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>